Use your imagination with me. It could be easy to forget that the story we just read happened to a real person. His name is Paul. And imagine what it was like for him. It's been five days, and it still hurts to breathe from where they were kicking you. The last five days have not gone well for Paul, for you. You are now in prison, and the cuts on your face are starting to heal, but you can still smell blood a little bit because they haven't let you change your clothes. Five days ago, you were clean, and you were in the temple, and you were praying for the church, praying for the poor, and you you remember you were reciting the beginning of Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, and that's when they hit you. And when you hit the ground, they started to drag you out of the temple, but they didn't wait before they started stomping on you. There's so many people. Somebody got up in front of everyone and yelled, fellow Israelites, help us. This man has defiled the temple. You don't remember exactly how you got outside the temple. But through the broken breaths, you tried to explain your story over again. But people, they wouldn't hear it. They said, he's not fit to live. Rid the earth of him. And it was a Roman soldier, Commander Lysias, who saved your life. He saved your life by putting you in the barracks. The only safe place for you is in prison. And even that is not safe enough. Your nephew comes to visit you and he says, I overheard a plot against your life. Over 40 men got together and they swore, we will not eat or drink until you are dead. And so again, the Roman centurion Lysias saves your life. He gives you an escort of 200 soldiers and takes you to the palace of the governor in Caesarea Maritima. Not even prison is safe for you. It's been five days and it's been a lot quieter. And in between your times of sleeping and praying, you can still, you can hear the ocean waves as you're on the coast. And you think to yourself, How's this going to turn out? God, is this it? What will today bring? Again, we have the benefit of reading a whole story in about three minutes, but he was living it, as we all do, one second at a time, one minute at a time, one hour at a time. He lived the story, and he didn't know how it was going to go. I was thinking about last week. We have a bulletin even today. Things did not go as we have planned. I have plans for my life. I think I know how my day is going to go, but that's assuming the power stays on. Like we have plans for our life. We have hopes about how it will go, but things can change in an instant. And then we're left confused. How's how's this going to go? Have you been, or maybe you are right now, ever been in a season or a situation and you're not sure how it's going to turn out? You say, God, how's this going to end? What will today bring? Yesterday was bad. The day before that was bad. What's today going to bring? I'm not particularly looking forward to it. Last Friday, on Friday, was my daughter's fourth birthday. And I was thinking back to the day she was born. There were these moments where uh, 
during the delivery, my wife's heart rate dropped and my daughter's heart rate dropped both at the same time. And I'm watching, I can remember watching that little screen of their, both their heart rates. And I don't know how it's going to turn out. And it wasn't very long and the doctors were great. And I did not know that they would be okay. And they are, and we're grateful. But when you live it, you don't get to read the end. We read in this passage two years of Paul's life in about two and a half minutes. But he lived it moment by moment. Some of you have, and all of us will, ask the question, God, how is this going to end? Paul's five days into his incarceration in Caesarea, and what today brings is a trial. The chief priest Ananias and some elders have brought an expert lawyer with them, Tertullus, and now he is under trial, on trial for something he did not do. And Tertullus is good at his job. He starts with flattery. Which, is, when you're talking to a governor or really anyone in authority, always a good plan. Lots of flattery. Sure, they know that they, you don't mean it, but it's still nice to hear that people think you look nice today and that you've done a good job ruling the country. It's just formality. But he starts and says, We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in the nation. Everywhere in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. And now, I don't want you to get tired. I know you've been very busy. You've worked very hard. So here, here are the few points. Here's just the simple facts. We have this man right here, Paul. He's a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader of a Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. You're welcome. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to learn these truths and these charges that we are bringing against him. He says, Paul's a troublemaker. In the Greek, this is like the term. He is public enemy number one. He is a ringleader of a dangerous sect. And worst of all, he tried to desecrate the temple. If you're not familiar with Jewish history, about 200 years before Paul, there was a leader of a foreign king, Antiochus IV. He goes into the temple of God and he sacrifices a pig on the altar to Zeus. And then there was war. This nation of Europe goes up in flames, or excuse me, um, Israel goes up in flames. It was a revolution. So that they stopped that would be a great gift to Tertullus. And so the Tertullus, or to, man, to Felix. Tertullus and the high priest have one goal with these accusations, to portray Paul as an enemy of the state, as a threat to the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, so that they could execute him. And then the other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. See, 27 years earlier, Jesus was killed by the Romans for something he didn't do, and it was Paul's turn now. When the governor motioned for Paul to speak, he said, I know that for a number of years you've been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city, and they cannot prove to you the charges that they are now making against me. Paul honors Felix, but it's not the same flattery. Paul's life is in someone else's hands. And he says, am I public enemy number one? I've been here less than two weeks. That's not enough time to start a revolution. I've been here 12 days. 
They found me in the temple. I was alone. I was praying. I wasn't teaching or preaching. You have no evidence. And he goes on to say, I will admit, I will admit, I am the leader of, uh, and a follower of the way, which they call a sect. He doesn't deny following Jesus or being a part of the way, but it's not a sect. He said, I believe everything in accordance with the law and what is written in the prophets. I believe everything in the Old Testament. I believe that there is one God. I believe that that God has revealed himself to one family, the family of Abraham. And from Genesis to Malachi, that's our story. And together we have this one hope, he says. He says, and I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection both the righteous, the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Paul says, my hope is the same as these people here, that there's a resurrection. There is more to life than you can see happening right now. Our bodies, your body, my body will age. It is aging right now. It will get sick or get injured and we will die. And that is not the end. The hope of the resurrection is not something Paul came up with or the followers of Jesus came up with, but it goes all the way back. Psalm 49, 15 says this, but God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. The prophet Isaiah said, but your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Hosea, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? Paul says we have a hope. And it binds me together with these men in that room and with us still today. There will be a resurrection, a resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. Paul, just a few months earlier, wrote this le- in the letter to the Romans this. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. There will be a resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous, and we will stand before God. There's a lot of mystery here and a lot we could say, just a few things. First, for the nation of Israel, that there would be a day where the wicked stand before God was very good news. Sometimes, We live in a world where people who do evil do not get what they deserve. Every day, people do things that are horrible, and they do not experience the consequences of their decisions. Israel has been enslaved for hundreds of years. They're then exiled. They're mistreated by foreign nation after foreign nation. And the idea that God would hold those nations accountable for what they did was really good news. Evil will not go unpunished. That is beautiful news to a nation under oppression, but not so good news for those in power, for the people who misuse it. As we see later in the story, Felix hears about the resurrection and the judgment, and he is afraid. Imagine with me again for a second that there is no resurrection, and that this life is all there is. We are floating on a giant cosmic accident, that our lives are just the 
random consequences of atoms colliding and we will one day, our bodies and everything about us will just return to the earth, carbon atoms back into the universe until the sun explodes and everything is wiped out. If that's true, then what we do, what, then what we do with our lives don't, doesn't really matter. In fact, we should probably just have as much fun, get as much money, uh, enjoy ourselves as much as we can. Pleasure should be the goal. We should engage in as much meaningless uh, pleasure and indulgence that we can. And imagine you've lived that way your whole life. And you've gathered money and power. You gather more wives and more children and more family than is reasonable. And then one day, somebody like Paul comes along and says, there is a resurrection. And all the people you've hurt and all the lies that you've told will be exposed before God. Of course, Felix is afraid. The truth of the resurrection means that what Felix does matters. And it's not just what Felix does that matters. It's what Paul does. Paul says, because of the resurrection, I try to live with a clear conscience before God and other people. My best explanation of what it means to live with a clear conscience means that he believed that Jesus, when Jesus said the best thing to do with your life was to love God and love other people. And Paul has made it his life's goal to love God and to love other people, even when they didn't receive it as love. He loved people because he knew one day he would stand before God and give an account for what he did. And everything that he did that was good would be celebrated in the presence of God. But it's not just Felix, and it's not just Paul, but it's us. What we do matters. What you do matters. When you give money to a cause, when you foster a child, when you tell someone you love them, when you pray for them, when you go on a walk in nature and say, thank you, God, this is amazing, that matters. It matters when, if you're a school teacher or a counselor and you go this week and you're getting students or you, as you pray through your roster and you pray for relationships and safety for those kids, that stuff matters. When you say no to lust or gossip, when you practice self-control, whether anybody knows it but you, that matters. And one day you will stand before God and he will say, well done. I saw, I saw when you chose what is good. Conversely, when I gossip or when I manipulate, God sees that too. I love the idea of God noticing when I do something well. I hate the idea that God will notice when I don't. I hate that he sees me at my worst. I hate one day that everything that I worry will be exposed, will be brought to light in front of God. Our selfish ambition our gossip, our lies, our manipulation, all the things that we have done will be exposed before God on the resurrection day. The resurrection in that way is both good news and bad news. It means, again, that what we do matters, everything beautiful and good, but also evil and horrible. Right about now, you may be feeling a little uncomfortable. I know when I was reading through, I was like, this is not my favorite. I, I don't love that idea. And then I started to think about Jesus and and a friend asked me this week, if Jesus took my punishment, why does it matter what I do? Jesus, we believe Jesus will be with us on the day of judgment, and he will not be our enemy on that day, but he will be our friend. And if Paul is right, that our sin will be exposed, 
then we have to also say that Jesus has taken the consequences of our sin on himself. We will not be punished for the sins that we have done. But here's the thing. Jesus had more in mind at the resurrection and on the cross than rescuing you from the consequences of your choices. He wants to set you free from sin altogether. Not just the consequences of sin, but the power of sin. Dr. Peter has this hymn that he loves, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling, and it has this line, Take away my love of sinning. That's what Jesus is trying to do with the resurrection. He's saying there's something bigger than your life to live for. I want you not to just not experience the consequences of sin. I want you to love what is good. The hymn Rock of Ages says it this way, Be of sin the double cure. Save me from its guilt and power. We need saving both from the guilt and the power of sin. God is setting us free so that we can be free to love God and be loved by him. We share Paul's hope of the resurrection, and so therefore what we do matters. Back to the story. Paul goes on to defend himself, saying, I haven't caused any trouble here. There are some who could bring charges against me. They would be lies, but they could bring charges against me. They're from the province of Asia. They're not here. That's outside your jurisdiction. If I did anything wrong, actually, you know what? I might have done something wrong. When I was in front of the Sanhedrin, I did rile them up for no other reason than I just wanted to. They were bugging me. So I said, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And then they fought amongst themselves for hours. There's some beautiful little sarcasm there. He's, he's, uh, Paul's saying, you know what? I actually, I did do this one thing. It probably wasn't a great idea, but it's nothing to stand before a Roman judge over. Now, Felix is in a bad place. So he has three choices, really, when it comes to ruling on this case. He could say, one, the high priest is right. He's a, a ringleader, public enemy number one. We can find him guilty. It'd be a lie, but it would make his life kind of easy. Except for, do you remember the charge the high priest gave, which was that he's the leader of a sect. If we kill Paul, we might have a fight on our hands. You know how religious zealots are? We might have a fight. So what if maybe the second choice is to rule for Paul, call him not guilty, but then he would make an enemy of the most powerful Jewish leaders in the world. Also, a fight is coming. Can't do that. So he does a third thing. He decides, you know what, I need more information. He does not need more information. He knows what happened. He knows that Paul is innocent, but he decides he's going to imprison Paul. That way, no guilt no innocence, and he could keep the peace. He takes the third way out. Then it says, he ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to care for him. And then the story gets kind of interesting. Paul comes with his, or, um, Felix comes with his wife a few days later to meet Paul. She's Jewish. And what we'll find out about Drusilla is that she is actually Felix's third wife. And there are conflicting reports. Some reports we have 2,000 years later say Drusilla was unhappy in her marriage and she seduced Felix and got her to be, um, got her way. Other people said Felix saw a woman that he wanted and he took her. These are not people who are known for their self-control. And so Paul begins to preach to them, tells them about the resurrection. He says, he talks about self-control and righteousness and they are afraid. 
for all the reasons we talked about before. When you have arranged your life around whatever makes you happy and find out that you're going to stand before God, that is not good news. The story ends, Paul is in jail for two years. He's left in the middle of the story. We never find out, at least in this chapter, how his story ends. Just like us, we're left in the middle of our lives going, what's going to happen? I don't know. And every day he'd wake up and is today the day of the verdict? I don't know. How will this end? I say that Paul doesn't know how it ends, but in truth, he does. Not this particular moment, but at the end of all things, he knows there will be a resurrection. And that Jesus will set people free. That whatever is good will be celebrated, whatever bad isn't. And so for us, in the midst of trials, I don't know what your trial is or has been or will be, whether it is a health condition, anxiety, conflict in your family. Maybe it's a bad job or no job at all. Whatever you're in the midst of. And you ask God, why? How much longer? How will this end? Where are you, God? I want you to know if you're in that place, you are not alone. You have the same hope that Paul has. We have the same hope that there is a resurrection and that what we do matters. So as Paul said, do what's good. Love people. Love God. There is a resurrection. What you do matters. Will you join me as we pray the Lord's Prayer? There's this line in the Lord's Prayer that says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we, when we pray that, we're asking God, would your way of life come down to earth? Whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is noble, we want our lives to be filled with those things. So pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.